Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to be gathering with you. I love that video. It just makes me want to go kick down a wall or something cool like that. Beat up a pinata or something. All right, so next time. Next week, pinata. Don't, don't miss it. It's going to be great. Hey, really glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest with us, so honored to have you gathering with us today. Should have received a gift on the way in, um, and just want to let you know, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome. And welcome to summer season at City Church. And so uh, through the ebbs and flows, I just want to say thank you for honoring the space and prioritizing gathering together. I know the summer gets hard. Tons of people are traveling and going out of town. we got people in South America at City Church. We've got people in Arkansas. That's Arkansas, you know, yeah. It's not much out there, but uh, by the way, our really good friends, Will and Nay, are officially married. Some incredible team members. They got married over the weekend. There's a whole squad of City Church people that drove to Arkansas to be with them and do some climbing and stuff. And so I just want to say thank you for you honoring the space of gathering through the summer. I know it gets challenging, but I don't want you to miss, man, the priority as we gather through the summer. Um, and especially because we have some amazing guest speakers throughout the summer from our very own City Church team. And next week, Billy Horider is up speaking on Nehemiah chapter 2. Put your hands together for Billy. Do not miss it. It's going to be so, so good. Hey, before we get into it, we're, we're going through our summer series of the book of Nehemiah. i got a couple of quick announcements for you before we get into the, to the actual message today. Number one is on the 22nd of June, we're hosting another community night. For those of you that were there last time, it's amazing. We rent out Boco Cider, their entire cidery, right down the street here. We rented out. All the drinks are on the house. It's an incredible way for you to invite your friends, especially people who maybe are uh, disconnected from church or faith altogether, kind of, you know, squinty-eyed at the whole idea of church. It's a great space for them to be loved, safe, and welcome in a non-church environment. And so last, last time we packed it out with like 80-plus people in the room, and then this time the weather's nice. We can open up the garage door and have even more more. And so as you leave today, you're going to get one of these flyers on the way out. So as you're leaving these doors, you'll get one as an invitation. Uh, also, all of these are going live. It's, it's already on Facebook as an event. It's on Instagram. And so it's also on our website. So don't forget the value that, man, that where you live, work, and play, you have the chance to invite people into the space. Uh, there's alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages available f- for everyone, and so it's a safe place for everyone, an incredible evening of community. It's also a night where we provide free child care. Amazing! And so child care is provided here, and so the deadline for that is going to be on this sheet as well, and so people got to sign up for that child care by the 19th. But again, mark your calendars, the 22nd, 6 to 8 p.m., we're going to party and love our neighbors well. You guys ready? I am so pumped. Last time was so much fun. It's going to be a great way to kick off the summer. Number two, um, if you signed up for a Nehemiah journal as we kick off this series, there are journals in the lobby. If you signed up for them, I think all of the extras have already been picked up. And so if you didn't sign up, don't worry. These are available on Amazon. It's called a, little, it's called a Nehemiah scripture 
journal, and so it's got space for you to take notes throughout the series. If you have them, hopefully get them out right now. We're going to be walking through this series. I hope that God uses this space over the summer for you to really press into what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in our church, what he's doing in our city, in our community, and the world. If you didn't get one of these or you don't necessarily want to pick one up, there's journals in the seatbacks in front of you, and so you're welcome to also grab one of those free on the house just to be able to take notes or your phone or however you like to do things. And last but not least, next Sunday, Right after uh, service, we, we could use all hands on deck. So many of you know, uh, we, we played a large role in helping with fire relief from the Marshall fires. And so one of the things we had the privilege of doing is kind of being a catalyst for resources from our parking lot to all of Louisville. And so there's this giant sea container in the back of the parking lot, um, and it's got a ton of resources that now we are going to be getting ready to send back to the warehouse with Surf 6-8 now that kind of things are winding down. And so next Sunday, right after the service, we could use all hands on deck, all the help that we can get to empty that container so they can come and pick it up and, and get it on the truck and go take it to the warehouse. And then secondly, I am so pumped, we are installing a new playground on our property for our community so uh, First Prez, or now Grace Commons Church, which is like right downtown Boulder, um, they donated a commercial playground to us about a year ago. And many of you know we're trying to you know, purchase this property and, and uh, make this place a, a place of permanence long term. But in the meantime, we still get to use it for our city. And so being a church in and for the city is connected to this piece that we have a large playground that we're putting right out front of our building here. So one, it gives kids a place to play after our service, but also it's open to our community. You can see it from the road. People can uh, uh, come and play on it and have a great time and uh and, and eventually it's gonna you know it's gonna have a fence and like awesome rubber tire mulch to get rid of the prairie dogs and you know all the things but in the meantime kids get to play on the playground with prairie dogs so it's great um but hey all hands on deck what i'd like you to do is if you're available right after service we're going to feed you lunch and we need help on both accounts we're putting that playground together if you'll circle the letter s on your connection card that would be awesome again even if you're not a first-time guest grab a connection card from that back seat circle the letter s we would love your help and it's going to last as long as it lasts. And so it's going to be a party. It's always a privilege to serve together. Um, also keep your eyes open. Over the summer, we have a unique opportunity to serve our community in a lot of different ways. And so block parties and, uh, you know, free coffee and cold brew on, on like downtown Pearl and all kinds of different things we're going to be doing. And so you'll hear about those throughout the summer as we serve together. You guys with me? Everybody good? You guys ready to get into the service? All right, here we go. I am so pumped about the re-kickoff of Nehemiah. Last week we did the intro and, um, during that intro, we were also walking through just the heaviness of what our country's walking through and the shooting. And, and so if you didn't get a chance to catch last week's uh, message, I highly recommend you go back and catch it on our podcast, our YouTube channel. Not only did it set up our series, um, but also we just created some space of like, hey, what's the church's role in the middle of tragedy as we suffer with our own grief and loss in our own lives, but also walk through it as a, a city and a, and a country. And so, um, man, we, we tried to create space last week to sit in that. Our hearts are still grieving um, and, and, and hopefully leaning into change. Now today, as we kick off Nehemiah, we're going to be in chapter one, so you can go ahead and get your journals out or whatever and, and start there. But as we get into it, I got a couple of things for you before uh, we get into the actual verses of chapter one. One of the struggles that you might or might not be familiar with, but I think if you sat in it for a second, you would understand this kind of felt issue, uh, especially in the West, but it's been going on for a long time. And there's this, this idea of this secular sacred divide in our hearts and our minds and our spiritual lives, meaning we kind of compartmentalize our faith compared to the rest of our lives. So, so as a Western kind of people, we, we really struggle with this at times, um, but then it, it goes back ages past just, you know, our nation and country. But 
This compartmentalization of faith is like, okay, I've got my private faith life and what that means for me, and I've got the rest of my life. And I, I just want you to imagine with me for a second. And again, I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey. Again, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our desire is to simply meet you where you are, help you take a next step, whatever that means. But I want you to imagine that you could sit down with Jesus for like a cup of awesome cold brew from Onyx, okay? I only say that because I got to go see the OG Onyx in Rogers, Arkansas. That was the cool thing in Arkansas this week. Everything else was less than cool. But that was really cool. And, and so you're sitting down with Jesus having a, an amazing cup of some kind of burned honey. Who's he, what's he, I don't even know. It was, it was in the name, but it was really, really good. And uh, that's not the point. But you're sitting down with Jesus, and you ask him, Hey, Jesus, like, how's your spiritual life? Just imagine you got to ask him that question. Hey, how, how's, how's your soul? And it's a question we actually use here a lot at City Church, right? Hey, how, how's your soul? And it's a good question, but I think <laughs> Jesus would probably respond with something like, you mean, how's my life? <laughs> because for Jesus, like every square inch of life matters to God. I think for Jesus, he would say everything is spiritual. And so one of the things we do is we kind of check in in different categories, and it's fair, like emotional tanks, mental tanks, physical, like, like there's space for that. But there's this danger in the, the culture that we live in to compartmentalize our faith, that, like, that, that these two things don't ch- touch. And so my work life is over here, my spiritual life is over here, and they're not really intersecting. Or if they are, it's a very sub-level. But again, I think for Jesus, he would say everything is spiritual. And so there's this, this thing you maybe heard of in history called the Reformation, and there was this term, this theology coined around the priesthood of all believers. And it's a phrase that simply means uh, because of Jesus, the Old Testament, you had these priests that were kind of the mediators between God and man. And then when Jesus shows up, he bridges that gap. He's a mediator for us. And then we're invited to be what, what's coined as the priesthood of all believers, or as every follower of Jesus is now a representative between God and man, me- meaning there's no special Christians. There's not like an elite category category of Christians. There aren't more Christian things and other things. And so it looks like this. It means that for the follower of Jesus, the farmer and the priest were the same. Not only in the eyes of God, but in their role in the world around them. It means the preschool teacher and the pastor have the same calling. It means that the IT person and the city kids director have the same calling. It means that the stay-at-home mom and the overseas missionary have the same mission. You guys with me on this? That, that we, we don't categorize like, oh, there's, there's Christian things, and then there's just things. There's Christian music, and then there's just music. There's you know, Christian schools, and, and sometimes, again, there's a place for that, don't get me wrong, but we have this secular, sacred divide that we kind of naturally walk into without giving it any thought. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want you to think about the word disciple that Jesus uses over and over again. He doesn't use the word Christian. He uses the word disciple, and it means to apprentice, to follow Jesus. And we talked about how that word is a noun, not a verb. That, that, that it's not an action that we perform, it's something that we are formed into. It's who we are. And so in the same light, the word Christian or the word disciple is a great noun, but it's also a poor adjective. So think about it. The goal is not to have Christian work, a category of work in our world that is uniquely Christian, but the goal is simply to have Christians who work in different areas. Does it make sense? And so it's, I'm not a Christian engineer. I'm a Christian who is an engineer. I'm not a Christian preschool teacher. I'm I'm a Christian who is a preschool teacher. And in every category of life, it's about identity. This is the center of who I am, and it influences everything else. And so I want you to think about your life and all the categories and the roles that you have. I'm a student. I'm a, I'm a parent. I'm a sibling. I'm a, uh, an engineer. I'm a, a neighbor. Whatever it is, 
And in those spaces, we're invited to be a follower of Jesus as part of our identity. And so we asked this question over and over again. I want to just kind of zoom out. 2022, here we are. What would Jesus do if he were me? And the reason we asked that question is because it applies to the unique space and time that you live in. What would Jesus do if he was me? If he was five foot nine, five foot ten on a good day, depending on the shoes that you're wearing, he's probably not going for NBA. <laughs> if Jesus were me, <laughs> what would Jesus do if he had my vocation and my life skills and my season of life? If he had two little kids at home and my gender? All of those things play into how we answer that question. Ephesians 2.10, let me show you this verse. And this is all setting up what we're going in Nehemiah today. This is Paul reflecting on um, what Jesus has done, what he came to do, and what it means for us in our lives. And so he's, he, he kind of reflects on this big picture. This is Maddie's favorite verse, by the way. If you go to the growth track, by the way, growth track, next Sunday, right after service, part one, 30 minutes. That's how you kind of get out of unloading the seat container for a minute. So sign up for growth track part one if you haven't already, okay, on your connection card. We are his workmanship. Listen to this. Listen to the language. We are God's workmanship, Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so there's this thing that every human being on the planet wrestles with, and it's kind of this idea of calling and vocation. Like, like, what am I here to do on this planet? I want my life to matter. And we say a lot here at City Church, like, hey, you're not what you do. You're a human being, not a human doing Right? And, and those things are valuable because we don't want you to find your identity alone in what you do. But to separate that completely and act like the work that we do with our hands and our lives doesn't matter is completely against the vision that God has for us. If you go to, to the, the early chapters of Genesis, that God is a creator God and he, he, cre he creates us to create, to cultivate, that there's life when we put our hands to something and create things out of nothing. So our work doesn't not matter to God. But actually, work is a form of worship. And I don't want us to miss these spaces. And so you and I are created in the image of God, created to create. And so we ask kids when they're growing up, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's right? a good question. Now, we don't want them to find their identity only in what they do with their hands, but it is a good question. Because what we do grows out of who we are. And newsflash, listen, there's this, this little lie kind of in American culture that you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. Not true. Not true. NBA is out for me, guys. I tried out for, I remember this conversation explicitly. Me and my dad, you know, it's, it's, it's middle school, first time, seventh grade football. And I ask him, hey, dad, all my friends are going out for football. Did you play football? Yeah, I, I played football. How'd it go? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, do you think I should go out for football? And he's like, and I can see it in his mind. Like, now looking back on that conversation, he's like, that's a, that's a bad idea. But he doesn't say it. He's like, you know, you could try it. <laughs> hmm, okay, and all my friends did it, I did it, guess what, worst decision of my life. Like, I got the crap beat out of me for three years, right? Like, I was the smallest dude on the team and just got pummeled over and over again until I had a wake-up call. And at the end of my freshman year, everyone's weighing in, they grew three feet over the summer, all the girls are taller than me, right? And we weigh in, end of freshman year, 97 pounds, baby, right? And the coaches are like, bro, it's not looking good for you, right? They had paramedics on call all the time for me. And so it, it's not in the cards, guys. You can't be whatever you want to be. You are uniquely designed and made for a purpose. Again, that's not to discourage dreaming. And I mean, there's a place for that, right? Don't get me wrong. 
But one of the things we need to press into is, is you are uniquely you. You have gifts, passions, and a purpose, things that burn in your heart, things that God has put you on the planet to do. And a lot of us miss out on it because of this idea of the, Ameri- the American dream. And, and by the way, burnout, right, is a big popular kind of conversation in our culture. And, and sometimes that's because of, of this effort that we have of overextending ourselves and the things that we do. But I think I'm being more and more convinced that burnout is probably more so because of you and I giving out of a space that we don't have. And so there's a space of, God, who have you made me to be? So here's some questions I just want you to wrestle with right now in your heart and mind as we go into Nehemiah 1. What has God created and called me to do with my life? What has God created and called me to do with my life? And I want you, again, for Jesus, everything is spiritual. And so engineer and IT and graphic design and photography and hair and raising children, all of it. What has Jesus called me to do with my life? Number two, what potential do I carry? Some of you are musically inclined and some of you, we turn the music up really loud because, you know, you can't sing on key, you know? <laughs> so like that, that's, what, what, what potential do I have and what limitations do I have? And another question I really want you to wrestle with today is what breaks my heart? What, what, what burdens me in a, in a unique way? Um, some of our friends, one of the churches that we hit, helped plant in Denver, uh, sit, sitting in the same space of the shootings and everything last week, they, they, they gave a message saying that broken hearts can change the world because a, a burden can actually lead us to a vision and a calling. And so as Jesus followers... I want you to understand, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, you and I surrendered these questions to Jesus the moment that we turned over our lives to him. What is God's call on my life? What are my potential limitations? Right? We actually surrendered these questions to him. We surrendered to a new king and a new kingdom, a new way of living our lives, to be fully human, a new vision of what we spend our lives on. And so some of these things are answered for us in the scriptures. But some of these things are uniquely meant to be answered by you as you live out your life. And by the way, this is not going to arrive in the mail with a fortune cookie letter. And, you know, this is what I was made to do. And we talk about Growth Track being a space that we want to help you discover your purpose and make a difference. But you don't walk away from Growth Track saying, I finally have it. My official kingdom resume. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I just want you to understand, like, as you wrestle with, you know, your faith journey and what you believe about God, like, if God is good, if he is present, if he's not absent and hands off, is it possible that he created you on a purpose and for a purpose? And, and again, we gotta ask the questions, how does who God has made me to be connect with his larger story? How does it connect with the local church, what he's doing here and in Boulder and West and, in the West and the world? And again, if, if our invitation is to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, if he was me, then what does this look like? And lastly, here's what I wanna end with before we go into Nehemiah is, why does any of this matter? Let me show you a quote from John Mark Comer that I think speaks deeply to this. God is involved in our story to the degree that we open up our lives to his authorship. God's not forcing his will and his plan. He's accomplishing a bigger story and we're invited into it. But God is involved in our story to the degree degree that we open up our lives to his authorship. And then Andy Stanley says it this way, and this is what we're speaking about today. Everyone ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. Let that sink in for a second. 
Stephen Covey wrote a really good book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he said, one of the ways that you can live your life on purpose is to begin with the end in mind. Kind of fast forwarding and think about the end of my life and what I have to show for it. Everyone ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. That's a life with vision. That's what we're talking about today. Nehemiah chapter one, a life with vision. And so again, kind of backtracking, you can go to our website and catch the little video, artistic video on Nehemiah and how to catch up on that and uh, kind of the history of where we entered in. We gave you a little bit last week, but again, just a little bit of a recap. In 587 BC, the Babylonians sack Jerusalem, destroy the city, destroy the temple, and, and, and all of, of Jerusalem and all the Israelites, they're exiled into foreign nations. Fast forward 70 years and Persia conquers Babylon and so there's a new rule and a new reign and you fast forward even from that and we get to the book of Nehemiah where we have King Artaxerxes who is the ruler. Israel still not restored but it's in process. So you can go watch the video again on the Bible Project. Last week we talked about this. Really good video that can just help you kind of have context. You can watch it with your journal, take notes. I think it would really help you frame up things. Um, but as we get into today's conversation, I want to give you four ways. Four ways to align our story with God's story. If you have a purpose, if you've made on purpose and for a purpose, how do I align my story with God's story? We talked about that last week. Nehemiah is not just this small book of leadership lessons. It's, it's in the overarching story of what God is doing. And the same thing, you and I have a responsibility to ask the question of this time, this day, this age, this season of our lives, what is God doing and how am I invited into it? What's my unique role in this? And I don't want you to miss it because you are all uniquely gifted. You are all a gift and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. One of the joys of being your pastor is sitting in this space and saying, listen, church is not what happens in a gathering on a Sunday, but we are the church. We exist for the world. And what you're doing for, for the seven days that you're out to where you live, work, and play, that matters. And there's more joy and more passion and more life connected to that if you can get your story lined up with what God is doing. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter one. Number one, he caught a vision. So let's, let's go there. I want to show you this. But we'll start in verse three. Uh, Nehemiah hears about the city walls being broken down. He hears about the city being destroyed and he asked him about it. So the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, they said, is in great trouble and great shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This is the report that Nehemiah gets back. Now again, he's a slave in a foreign country. They come back and here's the report. Shame, the walls are broken down, everything's been destroyed by fire. And as soon, I want you to hear this, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So number one, Nehemiah caught a vision for his life. And I want you to see what's happening here. It wasn't the condition of the walls that broke Nehemiah's heart. It was the spiritual condition of his people that broke his heart in this space. And, and again, you're going to hear more about this as we go through the book. You're going to understand how these pieces come together. Billy's going to do an excellent job next week of, of framing up the urgency here. Um, but I want you to understand that all of this was connected to God's story. And Nehemiah, in this place, he has a burden that turns into a Vision. Now let me give you a definition of vision because uh, there's a lot of them out there and this is the one we're working with. Vision is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. Our entire nation's heart is burdened by the shooting last week. 
tons of Israelites' hearts are burdened by the walls being broken down. But something shifts in Nehemiah of not only what could be, but then that it should be. Andy Stanley calls it a moral imperative. As if this moves into a space that if I don't do something about it, now that it's on my heart and mind, if I don't put my hands to this, if I don't pour my life into this, I would actually be disobeying God. That's what it feels like. I can't not do something about this. You guys see the difference? It moves from what could be, which is great, to what, sh- what should be. This has to be. And so again, I want you to ask the question, what breaks your heart? And maybe you've never had the chance to sit down and, and give your heart the space to really consider that question. What, what, what burdens you in a way that might be moving you toward a moral imperative? Now, I want you to know we're on a 30,000-foot view of this conversation. Tons of resources to help you press in further. But today, asking that big question, what burdens your heart? So I'll give you an example. City Church was birthed out of a burden. I'm sitting at a pastor's conference in Texas, 2015. There's a guy from Colorado Springs who started a brand new church. He's in town for whatever reason speaking, and he's sharing about what God is doing in Colorado. I've never met the guy. I don't know him. I'm sitting there with a bunch of our staff team, and as this guy is speaking about what God is doing in Colorado, about people far from God and a vision to see the kingdom of God present in Colorado, the Holy Spirit takes that moment and he burdens my heart. I don't know anyone in Colorado. I've never been to Colorado and I'm freaking out <laughs> because I'm like, what the, I, 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 and I'm not saying this is everyone's experience all the time. There's no audible voice, the windows don't shake or anything like that. But in that moment, I have a burden that I can't get up so much so that I couldn't leave it alone. We dismissed for lunch. This dude's sitting at another table. I'm sitting over here, and the Holy Spirit is like, tapping me on the shoulder. You need to go talk to that guy. And I'm like, oh, it's so weird. And so finally, I can't even eat. I am so burdened by what God is doing in Colorado that I get up. I walk over to this guy named Mike. I tap him on the shoulder, which is awkward in, in interrupting someone's lunch. And I say, hey, and I just kind of blurt it out in my you know, really fast-talking way that I do. And I'm like, hey. My name's Drake, I, you don't know me, I don't know you. I, I think God might be calling me to Colorado. I have no idea where to start. And in that moment, God creates a relationship that serves as a catalyst to get us all the way to Boulder. Now that is not, we'll, we'll talk about that more in the future, but I just want you to simply understand that City Church started as a burden that then fast-forwarded into a deep conviction. This has to be. I remember sitting, there's lots of things, lots of obstacles, it took a long time. People are looking at me and Danielle and we were trying to press into what God is doing. We have no idea. Everyone's like, don't go to Boulder, that's where church planters go to die. The last 39 out of the last 40 churches that have planted here, they no longer exist. They closed their doors, they didn't make it. You're never gonna make it, you're just a Texas boy. You're only 26 years old. And I'm like, I know all these things. Thank you for your encouragement. And it's hard, and we're like, God, I don't know, and it starts as a burden. And we press in and press in and press in. But then God begins to clarify. And I remember sitting down, all these obstacles, and our pastor at the time, he looks at me and he's like, man, maybe with all these obstacles, you know, maybe you should consider, maybe this isn't the right answer. And I remember something in me, you know the right kind of anger? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like not that I'm going to punch you in the face anger, but like the That right kind of anger, I remember the moral imperative rise in me. I'm sitting at a table with him, and he's like, maybe this isn't 
the right thing. You know, maybe, maybe our church shouldn't be behind you and maybe these organizations aren't gonna get behind you and you know, maybe it's not gonna work out. And I, I remember being flooded with emotions and this burden and, I, and, I, and this is after months of time sitting in it. And I remember standing up and I remember with tears in my eyes saying, we have to do this. Danielle and I are going whether you're behind us or not. And I remember the space, it, this weird dance of humility, of like, hey, we want you behind us, but this feeling of this has to be, we have to go. There's nothing on the planet that makes it make sense. There's nothing on the planet that makes us want to leave our family with a one-year-old and have no childcare and no resources. There's nothing on the planet that makes us want to move to one of the hardest, most unchurched populations in our country and planet. There's nothing in there except for the burden that God put on our heart. Now, that's my story. And it's a privilege to be in that story. What about you? We've got people with burdens in our church for clean water around the world and they're using their engineering for that very purpose. We've got people burdened for uh, uh, immigrants who are using their time and their energy and their resources to help them as they transition into this country. We've got people with burdens all over the place that are pressing in. What is it for you? And could it move into not just what could be, but what should be? Now, I don't want you to miss it. The vision and calling on your life is gonna be multifaceted, okay? I don't exist just to pastor City Church. God called us here to plant a church in and for the city, absolutely, but he's also called me to be a husband to Danielle. He's called me to be a parent to my kids. He's called me to be a, a community member in Boulder. He's, he's called me to handle my finances in a certain way, and my career happens to be a pastor. What is it for you? You have vision for multiple areas of your life, but I need you to understand, I'm a disciple in every area. Right? I'm not a Christian over here because I'm a pastor and I'm just a husband and I'm just a dad and I'm just a neighbor or I'm just an engineer. No, I'm a Christian in all of those spaces. So that's the thing you have to wrestle with, okay? Now, that's number one. He caught, he caught a vision for his life through a burden. I just want you to ask that question today, okay? Number two, look at this, verse four. Nehemiah prayed. Check this out. In light of that burden, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, this is in verse five, with those who love him and keep his commands. I want you to see that he frames up a prayer actually very similar to how Jesus teaches us to pray in the New Testament. Every week we gather here together at 945 to pray. You're all invited every week to pray. And this is the model that we use. I want you to see how he prays. He starts by praising God for who he is. He says, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. I want you to see kind of the ownership, right? The humility that he has in his prayer. As he comes to God, he's not like, all those bad people, I know they jacked it up, God, but I'm here to be the hero. <laughs> we, I, us, he goes on. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commands, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. This is why every week we talk about knowing scripture so it can inform how we pray, so we can pray in alignment with God's will. So he actually goes back to a promise from God and he's going to remind God of that promise and then make his argument for God in his prayer. This is one of the ways that you and I can use scripture to lead us in prayer. He says, remember the word that you commanded. Your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And that's what Israel's experiencing right now. He goes on. But, here's the kicker, if you return to me, keep my commands, do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. 
They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So he's got this praise, confession, humility, and he recalls this promise. I just want you to see it once again. Prayer was his first response and not his last resort. And we don't use that as a cheeky little one-liner. I want you to see it's not gonna be the only thing he does, but it's absolutely his priority. Now I want you to see verse 11. He then prays specifically, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Two things for you to write down. Nehemiah prayed and he prayed specifically for favor and opportunities in the opposite order. (laughs) For opportunities and favor, okay? He doesn't just kind of pray generically, God, my heart's burdened, would you do it? But he prays first for opportunities, This idea of, hey, God, give me success. I want you to think about it. When you pray, how do you pray? We have a tendency to pray for miracles, right? Like, oh, God, could you do this very thing that I can't do? And there's a place for that. But maybe in more situations than not, we should pray for opportunities over God doing the miraculous. Nehemiah, it's interesting, right? He doesn't pray, God, rebuild the walls. He says, God, give me an opportunity to go rebuild the walls. Listen to this quote by Andy Stanley. He says that what Nehemiah prays for is an opportunity to go rebuild it himself. This is the difference between a dreamer and a visionary. Dreaming is about what happens when you're asleep. Vision is about what you do with your life when you're awake. Dreamers dream about things to be different. Visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Dreamers think about how nice it would be for something to be done. Visionaries look for an opportunity to do something. And Nehemiah was a man with vision, not just a dream. He wasn't expecting God to do something independently of him. He was looking for an opportunity to work alongside God. So he prayed for an opportunity. And we're going to see next week that God gives it to him. So listen, if you're a parent in the room, you probably have a vision for your children, right? Maybe you're praying that they kind of grow up as people of wisdom and character. But you can't simply pray, God, help my kids to be wise. I I guess you can pray that. But you can start praying for opportunities to influence and build their character into their lives through day-by-day moments, having a vision. God, help me be present to what's going on and help build the character in them. Danielle and I are in the space of, I have a vision for our family, and we're doing the work to figure it out. We're praying, God, give us opportunities to help them be wise, to know the difference between right and wrong and walk them through that. If you have a, a vision for your friends that are far from God, you're like, man, I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the life that's in Jesus. You could pray for them to be saved, Or you could pray for an opportunity to speak to them about Jesus. You could pray for an opportunity to share your story. And the difference is this space is if we pray for opportunities, we're more likely to walk into them when God opens that door. And so you'll notice a lot of our prayer nights of worship and gatherings, things like that, we pray a lot for opportunities over just the miraculous. There's a space for that. But I want you to see he prays for an opportunity. So maybe it's a a career move. It's a relationship. And the, the second thing, he prays for favor. Again, he's a slave in a foreign country. To leave and go rebuild the walls is, humanly speaking, impossible. In fact, he could lose his life for this request. But he asks anyway, and prayer takes him beyond what's humanly possible. And so he asks for favor. And so we pray for favor in our relationships, favor with our neighbor, favor with our coworkers, favor with our family, favor with Crestview Elementary down the street. And you know what? God answers those prayers. God, give us favor. The last two things. Nehemiah ends this chapter with, now... I was cupbearer to the king, (laughs) which is basically a sentence that says everything was hopeless. (laughs) I'm stuck. All the visions that I have, they they are not, it's impossible for them to be a reality. But I want you to see two things as we close. I'm going to invite Daniel to come as he does that. 
Number three, Nehemiah plan. You're not gonna see it from verse one, but between, I'm sorry, chapter one, but between one and two, you're gonna see that he makes a plan. God's gonna give him an opportunity to make this request, and, the, and he specifically says, okay, what's your plan? And Nehemiah just kind of vomits this plan of this vision to go rebuild the walls. And I want you to think about this space. As you and I pray and, and we prepare, do you have a plan? Like if, if the right opportunity comes along, do you have a plan? If that guy that you've been praying for were to ask you about your faith, are, are you ready to share your story? If suddenly you had an opportunity to switch careers, do you know what steps you need to take to make it successful? If a moment comes up as a catalyst with your kids, are you ready to step in and give advice? There's a, there's a part of planning that goes into our prayers, that we are expectant in our prayers. You have a, a vision for how your kids want to turn out, but do you have a plan? You have a vision for your marriage, but do you have a plan? In many instances, opportunities apart from preparation leads to a missed opportunity. If Nehemiah did not have a plan in place, by the time that God gave him the opportunity, he would have missed his opportunity. Now what you're going to see is that it's four months from the time he prays this prayer to the time God gives him a moment. And that's the last thing I want you to see is that Nehemiah waited. This is the hardest part about a moral imperative. When God puts something on your heart, you get burdened by it, there's an urgency. This has to happen now. And many times what has to happen, what needs to happen, it can't happen. And so Nehemiah says something like, now I was, I was just a cupbearer. And you got to ask the question, well, man, what, what options are there? And so let me give you this space as we close our time, a definition of success. I want you to think about this for a second. When it comes to success, the definition we're going to operate with out of the series is faithfulness to the process. When God gives you a burden, when do you feel successful? I can tell you when Nehemiah felt successful. Fast forward a few chapters and we're going to see him rebuild the wall. We're going to see it complete. There's going to be a big party and celebration. That's when he felt successful. But when was he actually successful? The moment he hit his knees. The moment he let that burden move him into the space of action. He was faithful through the waiting. He was faithful through the preparation. Success is not the end result, but faithfulness to the process. There's been many times that I would have loved to give up on this vision of City Church. It's hard. The grind is hard. COVID was hard. Summers are hard. Everyone goes in place. And there's days that you look up, you're like, man, why are we even doing this, God? And he reminds us over and over and over again, success is faithfulness to the process. If I'm doing what God has told me to do and what he's put on my heart, I'm successful. The results are not up to me. And so let me encourage you, as you press into the vision of what God has put on your heart and mind, as you press into the burden of what could be and maybe what should be, don't be disheartened, but there's a very real reality that waiting is part of the plan. In waiting, we mature. In waiting, our vision matures. It took a long time for us to go from a vision and a burden in Texas to being here, and an even longer time from being here to launching City Church. Waiting is hard. But for, for the perspective, Nehemiah kind of gets off easy. Four months? There's a dude named Moses. You know how long he waited? 40 years. <laughs> God, please don't let that be my timeline. Waiting is part of the process. So again, how do we align our stories with God's? We catch a vision. God, what do you want me to do with my life? We pray. We plan. 
and then we accept the space of waiting in the middle of all of that. So here's a couple of questions for you. Action and reflection. Number one, what areas of your life are lacking vision? I told you it's multifaceted. You might have some areas of your life that are kind of stirred up, you know exactly what you want, maybe out of your career or for your children or for your marriage. But odds are there's other areas that are kind of undone or maybe they're kind of fuzzy or incomplete. What areas of your life are lacking vision? Think through the roles and the spaces. Number two, what breaks your heart? Put it in your journal and wrestle through that this week. Ask that question over and over again. God, what is it that you've put on my heart? What is it that you've made me to do? Number three, what opportunities do you need to start praying for? We have the chance to invite our friends to Boko and have a community night and expose them to amazing community. God, give me an opportunity to invite my neighbor, my coworker. God, give me an opportunity to share my faith with my father or my mother or my brother or my cousin. God, give me an opportunity to invest in my kids and teach them what it means to live a wise life. What is it for you? What areas of opportunity do you need to pray for? Number four, what areas do you need to start preparing? Where do you need to start preparing? Maybe you've got a vision of what could be. Maybe you feel what should be. But maybe the plan is next. And I'll be honest, that's the hard part. God put a very clear burden for City Church on my heart and mind. And then there were months and years of planning. And guess what? It wasn't just us. Danielle and I started praying. And then God called people around us to reaffirm that vision. And Daniel and Michelle joined the team. And Seth and Maddie joined the team. And Albert and Jody joined the team. And over and over again, the story of City Church is being built with all of you. So I don't know what this is for you. Here's what I do know. God's story is working itself out in the world around us. And you and I are invited to join him in that. Let's not miss what God wants to do with our lives. So let me just invite you to a moment of silence. Will you bow your heads, kind of close your eyes? Let the questions that we asked on the screen just sit with you for a second, okay? Daniel's going to play, and we're just going to kind of sit in silence before we sing together. heads bowed and eyes closed. This is just a moment of privacy so you don't have to worry about what else is happening in the room and what other people are doing. But as you kind of just sit and reflect and let God speak, I just want to invite you, man, to invite the Holy Spirit right now to light up that thing in your heart and your mind. Friends, as your pastor, I love you deeply. I look at your faces and your stories and And it's so exciting to begin to dream and to think about what God could do and what he wants to do in and through our church. 
Some of you already have a vision. I see Billy and Gina who have a vision for their life and a calling to go overseas. I see Kat Russell in the room who has a vision to write children's books and a calling to do that. So many others of you, you have visions. And maybe part of that vision is it's untapped. You kind of feel like Nehemiah stuck doing something that's not attached to what you feel like you're made for. And we're gonna see God walk Nehemiah through that process. But right now in the space of privacy, I just wanna invite you again to say, Holy Spirit, move my heart to a place of burden and turn it into a vision. What is it that you want me to do with my life? Give me vision in every area of my life, in all of my roles. Write it down, wrestle through it, invite people into it. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I want you to know that all of this is made available through Jesus. That, that our purposes and, our, and God's plans for our lives, they come alive because of Jesus. That he came to be perfectly human like you and I can't. He lived without sin and brokenness. He was brutally murdered wrongfully on a cross. He died for our sins. He was buried and rose again, proving that he was who he said he was. That he could do in our lives what he said he would do. That he could make us completely new, adopt us into the family of God. And all of the things that God has put in us, they begin to come alive in a relationship with Jesus. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't maintain it, we receive it. So every good gift starts by responding first to the ultimate gift, and that's a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. If you have never made that decision, friends, I just wanna encourage you. God loves you. He is for you. He has a plan and purpose for your life, but it starts in a relationship with Jesus, and it flows out of that relationship into the world around you. You and I cannot give what we don't have. We cannot love without first receiving the love of God fully and completely. And it's a relationship daily, intimately, in rhythm, filling us back up so we can pour ourselves out and look back on our lives and say, you know what, I ended up somewhere on purpose. So Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for making a way through Jesus. God, move our church to the spaces of action. Make those burdens clear. Help us to understand what our lives are to be spent on and help us to do that with joy and excitement. And when it gets hard, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, when we come back to the promises that you have for us, when we come back to your larger story, asking the question, how does my parenting connect to your story, God? How does my engineering connect to your story? How does IT connect to your story? How does neighboring connect to your story? How does climbing connect to your story? God, how does running connect to your story? How does photography and graphic design connect to your story? How does music connect to your story? How does my love of coffee connect to your story, God? Whatever it is, you filled us with so many amazing things. Help us figure out how it connects to your story and that we would be apprentices of you and let it affect and infect every area of our lives. Jesus, we love you. Amen.